I'm correct. Today's date is November 6th, 2022. We are reading from the big book of AA, page, page XXX. Um, I wrote down who our reader is. Um, well, I was doing so well, wasn't I, until I just... Hi, I'm with, Janet Dan, B. Janet will be reading, thank you, Janet, <laughs> followed by a 20-minute share by Sarah G. Hi, I'm Janet B., a grateful recovering compulsive eater. Um, the classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. There are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol, for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot, start drink, they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, ha, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. Thank you, Janet. And at, at this point, it's my uh, pleasure to introduce our speaker, Sarah G. Sarah, welcome. And thank we look forward to hearing, hearing your share. You for, sorry, thank you for your, for your service. And good morning, everybody. I am Sarah, uh, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic from Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I just, first of all, I wanna say that I am so grateful to be uh, talking about the doctor's opinion. I absolutely admire him and his humility and his willingness to say that he didn't know everything and that he and Bill sort of made a wonderful team uh, together, um, sort of looking, you know, going through the aspects of the disease. And um, he was willing to say that Bill knew more than he did. So I'm gonna go a short bit into my uh, qualifications and then get into the reading. I qualify as compulsive overeater because as a child, I was a compulsive overeater, I snuck food, I um, stole food, I especially um, uh, candy, other sweets, 
Um, I stole from my siblings. I stole from uh, when I um, babysat, I stole from them. Uh, never enough to be uh, you know, noticed, but still stole the candy. When I got into college, my roommate and I would go to a ice cream parlor for lunch instead of eating lunch at the college. And um, we, uh, one summer, she came back from a uh, summer um, and she said, I have found out a way that we can eat anything we want to and never gain an ounce. And as she described it, I realized that that's the binge purge syndrome. Um, I, um, I took that nugget, I didn't act on it immediately, but in my later 20s, I began to act on it just a little bit uh, for a while and then more and more as time went on. And then uh, I, I've come into OA twice and the second time around, um, I began to eat uh, three meals a day, nothing in between, but I had such trouble with that because I hadn't eaten normally for so long, uh, maybe my whole life. And um, I began to have a lot of distress, gastric distress, uh, burning sensations, and it, it made me feel uncomfortable eating. So I began to lose more weight than I really needed to lose. And one day I was at my parents and I uh, uh, got up on the scale and I was 120 pounds, oh, sorry, I was 100 pounds and I had my shoes on, my clothes on, I'd just eaten a meal and I suspect I was under a hundred pounds. So those are my qualifications. Um, the readings, uh, so we start into, I think the first three paragraphs describe certain classifications of alcoholics. The first is the psychopath. And uh, I looked at Webster's New World Dictionary and they describe a psychopath as one who has a severe mental disorder and whose behavior is asocial. I didn't know I know antisocial, but I didn't know what asocial meant. So I looked it up and the dictionary said avoiding contact with others, in other words, isolating, and selfish behaviors describe me to a T. Um, and the book, the big book says um, that the psychopath is emotionally unstable. Definitely, I was emotionally unstable. Uh, eight to, to uh, bank down my emotions. I didn't want to feel my emotions. I was afraid of my emotions. And then it goes on to say, they're always going on the wagon for keeps. Every morning when I woke up, I would be so uncomfortable and I would swear that I wasn't going to binge and purge again. And of course, by the end of the day, I had it, done it at least once and normally more than once. Um, they are all over remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. So yes, I was uh, remorseful and uh, just absolutely ashamed of what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I think about resolutions as making a resolution for a new year. And I did a lot of resolutions, but I wasn't ever able to keep them more than about a week. A decision, when I looked that up in the dictionary, it says firmness of mind. And I thought, okay, I have firmness of, my, of mind about what I can and cannot eat. I have firmness of mind about my higher power. 
I have firmness of mind about these steps that have uh, kept me in this program and, and brought me to a spiritual life. So yes, this program has brought me to firmness of, of mind. And um, you know, the third step talks about making a decision, um, but it does, you know, we do say that a decision is one thing, but we have to act on it. So in that third step, the decision is to continue to work the rest of the steps. Um, so into paragraph two, um, or the second paragraph that, I, that was read, um, there's the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. In other words, uh, I, you know, a person who cannot admit that he can't eat his binge foods. For me, my binge foods were all kinds of desserts, including sugar-free desserts. And I found that out because I, was, um, I had a cold one winter and was coughing and I got some cough lozenges and I took one to, to help me. And before I knew it, I was popping them in like candy. So I threw that away. I decided that I cannot eat anything even with sugar substitute kind of stuff. Uh, so any uh, desserts, but I, haven't, I have a story to tell about that. So uh, one, year um, my cousin was making a Thanksgiving dinner and she asked me what I could not eat and I said sugar. So she said fine. Uh, I got there uh, and the, the end of the meal came and she had made a peach cobbler and the peach cobbler was you know with the sugar was with everybody for everybody else but the she had made a small singular little peach cobbler for me with no sugar in it. And I had to tell her I couldn't eat it because it didn't matter. Dessert is a dessert is a dessert. I could not eat anything that smacked of a dessert. So she was very kind and, and accepted that. Other binge foods are popcorn. I used to binge on that. Uh, bread, white rice, potatoes, and bananas. Um, so um, I, I couldn't. I couldn't admit for a long time that I couldn't eat any of those. Uh, there is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. Well, there are two cautionary tales here that I want to tell. One we know about in the big book, the man of 30 who was a, a hard drinker, uh, but he decided that he needed to stop because he was drinking too much. So he did stop until he was 55 and retired. And he got out his slippers and his bottle and he started drinking, but he couldn't stop. And after four years, he was dead. My tale is not quite that drastic, but um, I did go on a diet, my one and only, uh, when I was binging and purging, because I felt like I needed to lose about 15 pounds. Lost the, the weight uh, and I was on a, a diet that, uh, had very healthy foods, no sugar. And when I got finished with the diet and got down to the weight that I needed to get to, I had uh, realized, or, or I said to myself, okay, so let's celebrate. Let's have a scoop of ice cream. And so I had that scoop of ice cream. What made it worse was I didn't feel any repercussions from that. So the next day I had more ice cream. And then I was off and running, binging and purging again. So I cannot 
I cannot eat those kinds of foods without continuing to, to eat and get into binging and purging. It does talk about a manic depressive type. Uh, and you know, I think about manic and de depressive as being up and down, up and down. Um, I did have depression. I, I never was manic. I did have depression. Uh, have kind of gotten rid of that uh, by having a lighted, really uh, fully lighted house, um, going outdoors when it's sunny, uh, really being uh, careful to be in the light. And, um, and I did go at one time when we were doing face-to-face -face meetings, I did go to uh, 90 meetings in 90 days in um, November, December, and January, which are the dark months. Uh, and that really helped me a lot. Um, let's see. All right, so the, this next paragraph, I read it and I thought, oh my God, I have nothing in common with this person or this type. I don't know what to say. So what I ended up doing was uh, I thought about Fred and I wanna read uh, the, um, the part in the big book that talks about Fred at the beginning. It's on page 39 if you wanna follow along. It said, Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good. He has a fine home, is happily married and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. So it, it made me to begin to think that, um, you know, I, I was bulimic. And because of that, because I binged and purged, I was a pretty good size for my, for my height. Nobody looking at me um, outwardly could tell that there was a problem. And um, I, you know, I, I made as though I had it all together. I acted like I was perfect. Everything was great with me. Thank you very much. And nobody could tell the difference. And so I began to relate to this normal uh, person that uh, was an alcoholic. But I, I really believe this about Fred and anybody that's normal in all respects, except they're you know, compulsive around something. Um, I believe just like me that, that this was a mask that I put on uh, and that Fred put on and um, we all put on to make people think that we're okay. And I began to relate. That really helped me to relate to this uh, type that's normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. Why are they drinking? There's some reason. Um, then they, the next paragraph kind of pulls these all together. It says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. So um, the phenomenon, I looked that up. I've heard, heard it uh, described before, but I wanted to look it up. And it says anything out of the norm or unusual. So definitely binging and purging is unusual. And then I looked up allergy, which is an abnormal physical reaction to something. Um, you know, I'm allergic to lavender. 
and I can't have it put on me and I can't uh, take it in and, and I pill form, I break out in a rash. Uh, so I thought about an allergy that way, but it says here, any, you know, uh, any physical, abnormal physical reaction. So my abnormal physical reaction is to break out into binging and purging. Um, I cannot stop once I start. Um, so it goes on to say the phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So manifestation is a symptom, and my symptom is binging and purging. Then the distinct entity. So um, I, I can't, I must not eat certain foods. That puts me in a distinct category uh, because normal eaters can decide that they don't want to eat, but I have, I, actually I have, do have a choice. But if I take the choice of eating, I'm going back into the disease. So my choice is not to eat certain foods. The sec second thing that puts me uh, in a distinct category is I must have a miracle in my life. Um, so I must find a higher power who can relieve me of my compulsion. That's absolutely necessary. I have tried so many years to do this on my own and I cannot, it's not possible. So that's my miracle. And, and there's a story around that. Uh, I went into a codependency group and um, I uh, told my story of binging and purging for the first time. And when I told that, and after the group was done, a person came up to me and she said that she was a member of OA and she told me what that was. And, I knew a little bit about 12 steps because my husband had been, uh, my ex-husband had been alcoholic and I went to Al-Anon for a while. So she described it to me and she said, would you like to come to a meeting with me? And I said, yes, I would come to a meeting with her. And um, although after that, I only stayed two years and then I left thinking I could do this on my own, um, I knew where to come back when I was ready. So that was the miracle. Uh, and, and, you know, I can, uh, the next part of this is I can pass that miracle on. I must pass that miracle on to others who has the same disease, who have the same disease as I do. That's what Bill did with Dr. Bob and others and doing that kept him sober. So these are, these are some of the, the pieces of being a distinct entity. Um, and that's, you know, somebody that's, recognizably different in nature. Um, oops, all right. And then it goes on to say, it has never been by any treatment with which we're familiar permanently eradicated. Um, so um, this is the doctor talking uh, and he goes on to say, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So this is, He's saying we. I wasn't sure whether he met he and Bill or he and the town's hospital people. But anyway, what he's saying is the only relief that he can um, or the only uh, prescription he can give us is entire abstinence. And so um, 
that means I must believe I'm powerless and, um, and, and I have to accept step one, a hundred percent. I cannot think that, oh, maybe someday I can eat a little bit of this. That's my alcoholic food or a little bit of that. That's an alcoholic food. No, no, I have to accept a hundred percent that I cannot ever, ever one day at a time eat those foods. All right, and then the last paragraph says, this immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. So the medical solution is to not have a um, prescription at all, just let them die, let them go. Um, and a cauldron, I, I keep thinking of witches and, and doing the brew, you know, but a cauldron has a different meaning. It has a, it's, means a state of violent agitation. Um, so what I, I wanna say about that is that these doctors were, were arguing back and forth and uh, violently about what to do about curing alcoholism. They had no idea. The common opinion was that there was no way of helping chronic alcoholics. That was the general medical opinion. But thank God for Dr. Silkworth, who was absolutely willing to work with Bill W and didn't give up on those who had an addictive disease. Um, I am so ever so grateful to him. Um, how much time do I have left? I can't hear you. Well, I'll go on. I, I am so grateful for Dr. Silkworth and Bill W and those that came after uh, because without them, I, I don't know where I'd be. I'd probably be dead. I um, binged and purged and threw up. And then I binged and purged and used laxatives. Can you tell me how much time? Yes, you have just a few minutes, Sarah. Okay, so okay. I don't want to rush you. I'm but... done. I'm almost done. Good. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I'm sitting here and I'm realizing having almost 25 years of back-to-back uh, -back abstinence that I am so very grateful. Um, sorry about getting emotional about this, but it is an emotional kind of thing that uh, Dr. Silkworth was so adamant about the fact that Bill W. was onto something and that Bill W. carried his message to some people at the town's hospital. He carried his message to Dr. Bob and he carried his message to other 12-step groups like ours, Overeaters Anonymous. So I think that's all I have to say. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sarah.